God's word says about poverty, a couple things happen. One, some images have shown, are shown of brokenness around the world and we're faced with that reality. Two, we are stirred to quick action that lasts for, on a good sermon, three weeks to a month. And four, we're embedded with this sense of guilt and we walk away and then we move on with our lives. I'd like us to consider poverty with a different framework today. I'd like us to consider poverty within the context of the reality of who you and I are. I'd like us to consider looking at poverty not just as a world where 2.2 billion people live on less than 120 Hong Kong dollars a week right now. Let me say that again, 2.2 billion, that's roughly 38% of the world's population lives on less than 120 Hong Kong dollars a week, okay? But you see, that's not where the church has failed. The church has failed because we have somehow sought to carry ourselves like we're above that. And that's someone else's problem because we're already saved. And we've kind of let it out of our mind. Now, this isn't the case across the board. This is church universal and historically. But as we look at the scriptures, I believe we're going to be given an opportunity to dramatically change how we interact with the world around us. Remember the study that came out in 2013 right here in Hong Kong that said, depending on which way you interpreted the statistics, 35% of Hong Kongers are living below the designated poverty line. So it's not just a global problem. It's a problem here in our city. But then you think about it and you think a step deeper because as we read at the beginning of our service today, Jesus looked out at the crowd He is fully God. He knows exactly what the audience, the the congregation, if you will, needs to hear. And he looks at them and, and we're told often Jesus would look out at a crowd with compassion. It doesn't say that in Matthew 5 in this case. But as he looked at them, he began to help them redefine a worldview. And you know how he started it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are in poverty in their spirit. And then he went on to talk about blessed are the meek, blessed is this, blessed is this. But he started with the poor in spirit. And then we consider that 2.2, people, 2.2 billion people in the world live well below what we would self-define as the poverty line here in Hong Kong. And then we consider that as we look at the whole of God's word, there's some inviting truths for us in what we do next. And so for the next little bit today, I want us to look at God's word together. And I want us to ask the question, God, what would you have me do and who would you have me become 
as I interact with your word. So what I'd like you to do is open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. And a lot of what we read here is going to sound familiar to you because Jesus, in his great and wonderful way of speaking and living, often quoted the Old Testament as he was teaching us what to the people felt like new truths. And I want to give you some background on what's going on. Isaiah 58 is awfully reminiscent of a, the book of the, of a smaller book of the Bible called Malachi. And in the book of Malachi in here in Isaiah 58, the priests, the leaders, and the people of God are offering and going through all the right motions before God. They're fasting at the right time. And fasting is doing without something because our attention then is supposed to be on the Lord. And when we, uh, if we fast from food, then when those hunger pangs come, it draws us into a place of dependence on God. And the other side of fasting that we love is when we don't use that time that was spent for eating or for television or whatever it might be, that that time is then set apart for the Lord. And so people in Israel's time, we're doing the first part well. They were going without things because the Levitical law told them fasting was important. And they were saying the right prayers. And I'm using my words very carefully here because they were going through the right motions. But yet they felt like they were still suffering. They were still in captivity. Things were still not the way they wanted them. And so they cried out, God... How come? What are we doing so wrong? Why, and this wasn't out of sincerity. This was out of complaint. This wasn't one of those, Lord, teach me and I'll do the right thing. I just don't understand. This was, God, it's not fair. And so that's the attitude of the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 58. And how does God, through his prophet Isaiah, respond in verse 6? Well, I'd like to read the whole passage for you. And the reason in your sermon notes that you have it like today is because at the end, I'm going to give you some basic points and make some comments. But I would much rather you just mark up this text and consider it in conjunction with Matthew 25, which feeds directly off of this text. And mark this up as you hear what God has said to us. Instead of just taking notes down, look at what the words say. And mark those up. If you need a pen, raise your hand. We've got plenty. Okay, there's a hand in the back. So if somebody wants to come give some pens out, that's great. But I'm going to read now, beginning with verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 58. Remember, they've complained that fasting isn't being rewarded. And listen to God's response. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide with the poor, with the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Lord, as we turn our hearts to a very, very powerful passage in your word, I ask that our posture, that my posture would be one of dependence on you. One of understanding that I come bringing nothing to you that is not already yours. And so, Lord, I ask that we would have soft hearts today. I ask that you would guide us in the way we should go and that we would not be able to deviate from it. In this I pray. Amen. Seeing poverty from the inside out in its simplest form, I believe, starts with the idea of how do we see ourselves. Here's why. If we go back to the very beginning, to the creation account, we are told that God in his triune power, that's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, work together and say, see, I, we will make man in our own image. You remember that? God said, I will make man in my own image. That's an amazing thing. He didn't qualify who. He said, man is in the image of God. And you see, we love that truth and we talk a lot about it, but I don't know always that we believe it. Because what happens over time is we begin to believe other things about ourselves. And I need my wife's help for a second. She's going to come up and do something that maybe you can relate to. But as the world goes on, and we walk through life, we know that we are made in the image of God and that the atonement, which we're going to talk about in a minute, changes us dramatically, that our identity is now fully in Christ. But we go through life believing about ourselves what the world tells us or what we struggle with. And we wear that like a badge on our heads. So you're going to do that for me? Please make sure that's not permanent. Or maybe it is. Maybe I need this reminder for a while. You see, what we do in life is we carry around what we struggle with much more. I want you to like me. And sometimes that gets me into the place where my own insecurities are, did I say something that you're not going to like? And I begin to consider that more than loving you enough to help you in the way that you really need it. Or I, because of my own insecurities 
struggle and say yes to everything and then my wife suffers because she doesn't get the best of me. Or I'm unable to be generous with others because I'm so worried about what this person will think that I don't do the right thing and it has monumental consequences that go down the road. And so I wear around with me this badge on my forehead that says, I want you to like me. And the reason I wear that badge is because I have forgotten what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. If you opened in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm just going to have you listen to this one, you would begin to understand that Mike, that likely each one of us wrestles with accepting the truth that we're told comes in the ministry of reconciliation. You see, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, you ready for this? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The insecurities are gone. I don't have to worry about you to gain my identity. Now, I care deeply about you. Please don't misunderstand this. But caring deeply can be moved into my identity as defined by what you think of me rather than who God is and what he thinks of me. And you are not as important as God. We will die as a church body doing everything we can to make sure that everyone in this hall understands that everything we should do should be about the glory of God first. And that it is in him that he wipes away our tears, our sadness, our struggles, our insecurities, and it goes on. All this is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what was that? Well, it was that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. We wear the badge of insecurity, of superiority, of whatever the struggle may be, because we've been unwilling to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we're told to write the very words of God on our forehead. In other words, carry them with us wherever we go. Over time, we have let the world tell us who we are. And for Mike, that means that everything in me screams, I want everybody to like me. And it's a wrong perspective. Why do I know that to be true? Because to understand poverty means I have to understand that I myself am broken. And that no matter how good I am, no matter how much you like me, I on my own offer nothing to God. He needs nothing from me. He is fully self-sustaining, self-propagating, and self-ruling. He is God. And I am not. But I begin in my insecurities to act like the world revolves around me. 
And you might as well in how you make decisions and how we think through life. And then we interpret those decisions in those scenarios. And as that happens, as we begin to live out whatever the insecurity might be, whatever the selfish motive might be, when that happens, when we begin to say, God, your law shone forth mightily through the atonement that you making me one with you through your son, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to follow all of it because it's inconvenient. Because admitting there's 2.2 billion people living on less than 15 Hong Kong dollars a day is too painful for me to realize. I don't want to deal with that. To me, to help others or to look past policy and just walk with someone through life, it's too expensive in time, in finance, in resource, in whatever. I've got this job that I have to do, and that's it. And we begin to live out what we write on our foreheads. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. For God, you know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. You remember that, John three sixteen, And the scriptures go on to teach us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus tells us that we, we are called to live freely. We're invited into a life of freedom that allows us to use everything he has made us, everything that he has called us, everything he's created us to be, to be used to help fulfill the mission he has given us to do. And in all of these things, it changes how we look at the world. Because if God looked at the world the way we sometimes do, the result would be vastly different, would it not? Yeah, it would. If God looked at the world the way sometimes we can, he would forget about the poor because they're in Ethiopia, India, uh, a village in the Philippines. They're somewhere else. I don't see them. They're not my problem. Or as we looked at that person in the church that just needs a little bit of our time or that person at work that just needs someone to show some compassion, someone to spend their resources on them. If God did that for us the way we do it to others, the result would be we would still be waiting on a savior. But God didn't. God looked down at a broken world, at a people like you and I, who for the wages of sin of death is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and said, I'm going to see them differently. I'm going to provide a way that they can be rich. I'm going to provide a way that they can be free. I'm going to provide a way that they can have an idea of what it means to live in right relationship with the world around them. And I'm going to show them that sometimes it's costly, but that it's worth it. And how did he do that? He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, 
who became fully man and in so doing never sinned and yet went willingly to the most gruesome of deaths to take our sin and become sin for us that we might be forgiven so that we might then not be defined by the struggles and lies the world tells us. <laughs> but instead, be marked by the blood of Jesus Christ that says, I see in each one of you hope because I will give myself for you. And when I rise again victoriously, which he already did, I'm going to invite you to a life that changes everything. So when we consider poverty, the bigger question is, how do we see the world around us? Do we see it through the lens of Jesus Christ and how he saw us who are broken, yet he came to spend his life for us? rising victoriously over death and inviting us into that life that comes out of that? Or do we let our insecurity, our need for control, our need for success or for stability or for you fill in the blank, does that then turn into us telling God how to live our lives? I want, you, I want to show you a video now of a woman that is not particularly rich. She's a photographer. And if you know anything about most professional photographers, they are not the wealthiest people in the world. But the reason I want to show you this video is because this, this young lady named Esther came to a place where she had to ask, what am I doing with what God has given me? And how can I use that? So let's watch this. And God really started just pressing on my heart and saying, let me show you how I see people. Mm. Let me show you people past their circumstance. And it happened in Rwanda. Mm. And I kept hearing who we are is not our circumstance. I heard those words over and over. And God showed me people in his light, like this beautiful woman who might be covered in flies and dirt. And if I show that perception of the world, they, that's not who she is. Yeah. Who she is is who God sees her as. Mm -hmm. And she is vibrant and gorgeous and wonderful. And she works so hard for her children to be alive. Mm -hmm. And that's who I want the world to see. And I realized, too, that, like, photos can do something. I don't have to just show a photo and that's the end of it. And if I do that for myself, it doesn't do anything at all. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. If I show a photo and I'm like, you know what, this is the situation. This woman has dirty water and it's gross. But for $5,000, we can build a well for the whole village mm -hmm. and it can be like this. Yeah. And so it's like, this is what is and this is what can be. And we pair those together, it's action happens, yeah. it moves. And it's not just... Yeah. And so I love it. And awesome. there's a dignity component to it. I, I think it's so important, too, like, that we show names of people and the stories that go with it. You know, I saw you said that in... in so how do you go about, do, like, in the midst of, you know, you're taking pictures of people. How do you get, end up getting their name? I, I get mean, to what? know them. Yeah. It's so, like, That's many great. times I don't even shoot right away. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to come up to you in your house. Like, if I was doing a, a photo shoot with you, yeah. like, I'm doing a story on you. I'm not going to show up to your house and just start taking photos of you. I don't know you yet. Yeah. Why, why would I do that in any other country? Hmm. Is not the, this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free, 
and break every yoke. There is a world next door to us, no matter where we find ourselves, that is burdened and broken by the cause and hurt of sin and yet, and poverty. And yet we look at them as someone else's problem. And part of the reason we do that is because we forget who we are. We are sinners that have been saved by grace. And in so being saved by the very grace of God, if we are recipients of that grace, it should invite us into seeing people the way God sees them. We must seek to give dignity to those who are poor and oppressed. That's what I love about Esther Havens is her name. She said, I don't just want to take the grossest picture of, a, of people broken in poverty and show that. I want to show people who they are. And the story she tells of the woman that is a beautiful woman, that she might be covered in dirt, but she is doing everything she can just to keep her family alive. And Esther, with the gifts and skills God has given her, can take pictures to tell a story to help people build a relationship that some might be stirred to help in some tangible way, that woman. And God's word invites us to consider what it means to be the kind of people that see the world through the eyes of grace. And he asks the simple question, when you're thinking of poverty, when you're thinking of brokenness, when you're thinking of the hurt that is in this world, is not the kind of fasting that I'm requiring, says God, to share your food with the hungry. Well, it's 11.45. Some of you are getting hungry now, right? Lunch is coming, depending on how long I speak. And we're excited about that. And we're going to live out this process in a very simple way. Now, I'm not saying everyone in this room is poverty stricken, but you know what I know we all need, whether we like to admit it or not? We need to make time for relationships rather than expecting everyone else to come to us and fix us and help us. And you want to know one of the ways throughout all of Scripture that was done? Sitting around and eating. All through the Bible, the very Jewish calendar was marked by feasts. We are going to have a feast today. And some of you will sit there begrudgingly looking like you've been baptized in prune juice because you're not comfortable in social interactions. Well, that's okay. We'll try to make it uncomfortable for you, but love you anyway. But then you take the bigger picture and you back it up and you consider that there are ways that we can help share with the hungry. What does that look like? All sorts of things. Maybe you live in a neighborhood where you know there are people that are hungry. You could just drop some food off. I was amazed at how much of random pasta salads, I think it was, that people gave uh, my mother-in-law and my wife and the family after the death of my father-in-law. People wanted to share food. They wanted to help. And there was a need. The last thing we wanted to do as a family was cook. And so people did that. We can do that within a church. And then we can look globally and consider how can we help feed those around us. But that first point there in verse 7 is share with the hungry and provide shelter to the poor. Consider for a moment 
what's going on in the world right now. Once you get past the front page that Donald Trump is running for president and it's real, it's not even in our country and we still read about it every day. But once you get past that, the real news is the issue of refugees by the millions that have fled Syria. And what are we doing? We're telling them, go somewhere else. We're telling them, find another place to go. Now, I'm not saying right here in Hong Kong, I have all the answers. When there's only seven point some million of us, we cannot take in 1.2 million refugees. But what if we considered it on a micro scale? What if an opportunity came for you to mentor a student at Hong Kong Poly University and to walk alongside them because they're from the mainland and need some relationships with people that will give them time and house them in a sense? Maybe not provide housing, but just walk with them. Would anybody be up for doing that? Great, good, because I need three more after that because that's a real opportunity that we'll be talking to you about after church today. We need people to walk with students that don't have a home of their own here. What about some of our wonderful ladies in the church that struggle with relationships with their employers? How many employers in this room might be able to help you and sit there and say, I can listen to your situation and give you some ideas how maybe your relationship with your employer could improve. I can provide a shelter in the time of storm for you. But Mike, we, we, uh, it's uncomfortable. They might uh, No, we can do that one for another because we care. What about the reality that there are thousands and thousands of orphans in this city that need a home? Would we ever consider adoption? It's something that is heavy on my wife's heart and we're trying to figure out what that might look like. But what if we said, Lord, if it's your will, we'll do it. And these are just tangible examples right around us right now. I could give you thousands of other opportunities. The fact that you go to an old folks home in Hong Kong and the very reality might be that no one has visited them in years and we could provide a home feel for them by just going and spending time with them. Would we do it? Or are we too busy? And he goes on. He invites us to share with those in need. Why? It will always come back to the gospel because that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He shared his very life. He spent himself for us. Oh, but there's another thing. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. In this part of the world, family runs deep, does it not? What that means is our family relationships are important, correct? Yeah? We should value family, correct? Okay, now we're we're getting somewhere, we're getting there. But yet, how come time and again there are illustrations given where you hear somebody saying, well, I haven't talked to this family member in this long because either they won't talk to me or I can't bear to talk with them. 
And then the word of God says not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Jesus was even bolder. He said, you need to take care of your family. Don't send out your parents on the street, but do whatever it takes to take care of them. He didn't give conditions on whether they were thankful and grateful for your support. He didn't say that you should do this because they did it to you all those years. He didn't say whether they were a good parent, bad parent, or this. He told us to love the way he has loved us. Honoring our father and mother and our parents to honor the Lord by how they treat us. It is always cyclical and it is always gospel driven. But then when we consider the bigger picture, we look around and the church as a whole is often referred to as God's family. Why is that? Well, it's very simple. Because when we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and we accept the free gift of salvation that he has given us, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And even more, we're told we're co-heirs, we're co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for relationships in the church? It means that we have no excuse but to pursue reconciliation. To pursue peace. Because God, in his great and infinite love, pursued peace with mankind through Jesus Christ. And then he says, I want you to see the world through my eyes. And I want you to pursue right relationships. But you go on, And he doesn't stop. He boldly says something else. He says, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Isn't that awesome? I want you to think about that for a second. Have you ever given someone a gift? Anybody ever given a gift? There is one gift that I gave in particular that I was just super excited to give. You know what it was? It was a three-stone princess-cut platinum medal engagement ring. And I spent months while my wife was in China, over here. She wasn't my wife then. I was working on that part. I looked at... Jewelry shop after jewelry shop after jewelry shop because my wife knows what she wants. And she had given me a good idea of what might work for her and it was always the same kind of idea. But me, I wanted to then go a step further. And you know what one of the greatest moments in my life outside of believing in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior was? Was getting to give her that gift and say, I dare you to spend your life with a freak like me. And she accepted And you know what? I never once regretted all the money that I spent on that ring. I never once regretted that gift and all the thought that went into it and all the attention that went into going to the right one and all the miles I put on my car to find the right one because it was such a joy to give that gift. There was no regret in spending the money, in spending the time, in spending for the sake of making sure she knew I loved her. I still love you. 
in case you're wondering. But see, the thing is, God, much greater, did that for us. There was only one gift he could give that could satisfy his wrath, his very judgment, because he's a just God. And that gift was the perfect atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And in so doing it, he gave it willingly. He gave it joyfully. And then he invited us to care for others the way he had cared for us. And in Isaiah, we're prophesied, we're told to spend ourselves on behalf of others, specifically the poor. Why? Because in our poverty, in our brokenness, in our sinful state, God spent himself on us in giving us Jesus Christ. And then he calls us to go out. Deuteronomy actually tells us there should be no poor among you. Did you know that? The Bible actually says, has the audacity to say that if you are living as God has created you to live, there should be no poor among you. Well then, how in the world do we do that? Well, you go back to verse 7 and you go back to that idea of share and you go back to that idea of shelter and you go back to that idea of clothing and you go back to that idea of pursuit. And when you put those together, you realize that we are called to build relationships. The easy thing to do sometimes in a broken world is just to throw money at the problem. And there is a time and a place and a need for resources. For 38,000 Hong Kong dollars, we can build a well in many villages in Rwanda. For, uh, what is it? Is it 800 Hong Kong dollars we can give sight to someone in the Congo? Is that the figure right now? Yeah, 800 Hong Kong dollars. We can give sight to the blind through the ministry of New Sight. For a very little amount, we can provide English teachers just north of the border that walk through life with people and not just to teach them English, but to equip them to be disciples of all nations and go back into their villages, back into their homeland and help invest in others. For roughly 7,000 Hong Kong dollars a month, we are able to support a church planting work that's happening in Bulacan, Philippines. Some of you didn't even realize that's where your missions money goes. But these are just some of those places. We are called not just to give, though, but to give of ourselves. I love it when I look around at my church family and I see people in the church that use what God has given them for his glory. Some of you have homes that are good for entertaining and it amazes me how many people you have in your homes. Or some of you just have the joy of service in you and you will do whatever it takes to walk alongside someone in need. We need to be people like that. People that will build relationships with the world. You want to know a secret? The poor know they're poor. What they don't know sometimes is if there's anyone out there for them the way Jesus is for us. Are we for the poor? 
Do we see them with dignity or do we see them as someone else's problem? It's deeply troubling to see the politics involved in the struggle of refugees. It breaks my heart because no matter how many times I read this, it keeps reminding me of a couple things. One, I'm an alien. Literally, because I was not born in Hong Kong. I'm a legal one. I've got my visa. But I'm still an alien here. But even more, this world, my citizenship is in heaven. And in the model that Jesus has given me, I am called to care for the aliens. The very people of Israel were called time and again to take in and create cities for the refugee, for the alien, for the immigrant, for the needy, for the destitute. But we get busy telling people we don't have time for them or we don't have space for them. My prayer is that we would be different. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you flip in your Bibles, our final point is that we would give as Christ has given. 2 Corinthians verse 8 is a test. Do you know that? Read the Corinthian letters. They're great. Painful for a church at times, but worth reading slowly. 2 Corinthians 8.8, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Wow, that's a harsh statement. You know what he's saying? I want to see if you really mean what you say you believe. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The greatest wealth in all the world is stored in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's that simple. And if the greatest treasure, the greatest wealth in all the world is stored in our hearts and we believe it to be true and this test of earnestness that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth is true, our lives will see a broken world and we'll roll up our sleeves Apparently I can't unbutton my shirt, so you're not going to get the illustration. We'll roll up our sleeves. We'll dig our hands into the mess that is the world around us and say, how can I help? Because God looked at me and all my filth and all my brokenness and all my poverty. And he said, I am for you. Will we be for the poor? Will we prayerfully consider how we can help those in need? Maybe it's a missions trip. Maybe it's giving to the mission of the church as we seek to give more and more away. I want you to know tangibly, this has caused me and our elders to prayerfully consider how are we using the resources God gives us to be able to give more and more away to the work he's doing locally and globally.
This mission of giving has also transformed some of our community groups to where they're actively seeking out ways to give dignity to the poor and the broken. One group visits a senior citizen's home every week of the year. And I praise God for that. Another group is spending time giving meaning and, and giving love to those that are developmentally disabled or struggle or just have been left alone. And they've made it part of their mission to go help. Another group I heard of did what they could to gather together as many clothes as they could to clothe the poor. This is what we're to be doing as a church body. And then we're supposed to look inward and we're supposed to say, how can we walk together? How can we be for Christ together? It really is that simple. If we are made in the image of God and have been saved by his great grace and have been made rich because of who Jesus is, we can't but help but to do what Isaiah 58 teaches, to share what we have, to spend ourselves for the glory of God, to help others, to build relationships with kingdom value, and to give as Christ has given us. That happens at work, that happens in the home, and that happens as we give to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, I love the truth of your word that you don't invite us to stay where we've always been but invite us to go deeper with you in how we live. I pray that we would live sacrificially, that we would seek out the poor, the needy, the broken, the hurting and we would come alongside them because that's what you have done for us that we would not feel the guilt that comes from believing the lies the world tells, but rather be living out the freedom you have given us and in so doing, offer that freedom to others in whatever way you give us the opportunity to do. Make us a generous people, Lord, we pray. Amen.